Welcome to Trinity Dallas. We pray that this message will be a source of encouragement and hope in your life today. Enjoy today's message. I want to thank Bradford, who just did our announcement, Bradford, and I want to thank him for giving me the permission. In fact, I received it as a commandment to preach for two hours. So, Pastor Joe, I am not going to disobey a man of that size. Bradford said it, so get ready. We're going to go really deep for several hours. You're just going to love it. It's just going to be fantastic. Well, I also want to say, it's so good to have Pastor Joe and Nancy back from Israel. Here they are. They're now completed Jews. We'd love to have Pastor Joe and Nancy back and the whole team back. So we are starting a new series today in Philippians. We finished up with Colossians. And so today we're kicking off a new series in Philippians. And I'm going to be looking at chapter one with you. And we're going to be talking about cultivating kingdom mindset. What does it mean to cultivate a kingdom mindset? And so I want to give you a little bit of a background on this book, because this is one of the the happiest books in the Bible, and we're going to discover why. So Paul is the author, the great apostle Paul. He writes this book during his first Roman imprisonment. He's in prison in Rome for the first time. Paul gets in prison a lot. Uh, we, we found out in Colossians that he's stoned a lot, and then now we're finding out he's in prison a lot, not the, the way that you may think about being stoned. But Paul has lots of issues. So he's writing in uh, around 61 AD. The recipients of this letter, the, the letter to the Philippian church, or the church in Philippi, is the Philippians, and Paul planted this church in Philippi about 10 years earlier. Um, on one of his missionary journeys, and it's in present-day Greece. The ruins of Philippi are there. Uh, They're with us, and they're in northeastern present-day Greece. The purpose of this letter that Paul is writing, it's really a four-chapter thank-you note. Paul is thanking the Philippians for the very generous gift that they took up and gave to him while he's in prison. He's very encouraged He's very grateful. So he writes this letter to say thank you. The theme of this letter is joy in Christ. This letter is filled with joy. It's just overflowing with joy, and there's a very significant reason for that. The overview of this book, it goes like this. This is the happiest of Paul's letters, yet his circumstances were probably the worst. He wrote from a prison jail cell. He was under attack on every side. His work was under attack. He had been on the road for 20 years. Paul, to this point, has traveled 10,000 miles on foot. 10,000 miles on foot. Gosh, that's a lot of walking. 10,000 miles. That's the distance if you were to walk from New York to L.A. four times. That's the distance that Paul has walked to cover the ministry that we have up until this point. It's amazing. In four short chapters, we read the word joy and rejoicing 19 times. But this letter is not a how-to book on how to be joyful. It's not a book on how to be happy. It's It's just that Paul is joyful and he is happy. He never gives us the how-to. He just is. 
The Jesus life that Paul experiences, the Jesus life that he has on the inside, flows to the outside, and everyone around him is affected by it, and everyone who reads this letter is affected by this joyful life that Paul lives. Now, Philippians addresses a wide range of difficult topics. Paul addresses the renewed mind, how to renew our minds. He addresses the doctrine of justification, difficult, challenging. He also addresses even more difficult Christian suffering, the idea of why we suffer as Christians. And yet Paul addresses all of these things with a mind that's marked by the kingdom and a joyful outlook on life. Paul addresses these very difficult things in a spirit of joy. Fifteen times he talks about thinking, the thoughts that you think. And ten times he talks about remembering. So if we broke the book of Philippians down in, in the four chapters we looked at them, it's the four states of the mind. Chapter one is about a single mind, being single-minded. In other words, your heart and your head are integrated and they have the same direction. It's about having a, a single mind. Chapter two is a submitted mind. Chapter three is a simple mind, not in the sense of a negative simple, but simple in uncluttered. How to have an uncluttered mind. And then the fourth chapter is a settled mind. A mind that's settled on a foundation of Scripture. A mind that's settled on the thoughts of God. So this is the way that Paul breaks this book up, and it's a fascinating book, because Paul is in prison, but his mind is in the kingdom. Paul's in prison, but he set his mind on the things of the kingdom. The backstory of Philippians is absolutely fascinating. At the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 16 that Luke and Paul and Timothy has joined them, young Timothy, are trying to make their way to Asia. They've started their second missionary journey. Paul has a plan. He says, my plan is to go preach the gospel in Asia. And so this little band of guys, they're moving in that direction. But the Bible says in, in Acts 16 that every time they tried to enter into the province of Asia, the Holy Spirit stopped them. Yeah. The Holy Spirit put up a stop sign and would not allow them to go in. Now, the Bible doesn't elaborate on what that stopping looked like or how it happened, but we do know that Paul said we could not go to where we had planned to go because the Holy Spirit stopped us. So what does Paul do? He backtracks until finally he's back at Taurus, which is on the Aegean Sea, and he's stuck. He can't move forward because the Holy Spirit won't allow him. He can't go backwards because the sea is at his back, and Paul is stuck. Psalms 37, 23 says this, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. God directs the steps of the godly. But what we're learning here is that God directs the stops of the godly. Paul is stuck. He is stopped. And it's not, he has not been stopped by the Roman government. He has not been stopped by his enemies. He hasn't been stopped by the Pharisees or religious leaders who want him to stop. None of those folks has stopped him. The Holy Spirit has stopped Paul. He's stuck. He is stopped. Here's the point. 
The Lord stopped Paul because God's destination was not in Paul's plan. God had a clear destination lined out for Paul. Now, Paul is the greatest church planner who's ever lived. Paul knows how to plant churches. I mean, we read about them all throughout the scriptures, and yet here he's out on this mission, and God stops him. God stops us because he sees things that we don't, and he knows things that we cannot. Sometimes God needs to stop us because he sees things that you cannot, and he knows things that you don't. When stopped, when your plan fails, Maybe it's because God wants to give you a vision. It may be that God is stopping you because he has a vision that he wants to give you. Philippians, I'm sorry, Acts 16, 9 says this. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come to Macedonia and help us. That's the vision that Paul has while he stopped He's stuck. He's not going anywhere. He's quiet. He's had to stop. And God gives him this vision of a new direction. Now, Macedonia is in Europe. Paul wanted to go to Asia. This is a very different direction. So Paul and his friends jump into a boat. They obey the vision, and they leave for Macedonia. I can imagine that when Paul finally reached the shores of Macedonia, he was probably so excited to jump off the boat and run and find the man that he saw in his vision. But is that what Paul sees? No. When Paul gets off the boat, Paul finds a group of women praying by a river near Philippi. That's what he discovers. Now, if you could think about Paul for just a moment as a Jewish man in the first century, a, a Jewish male thinking, if someone had come to the great apostle Paul, this great church planner, and said, hey, Paul, we got this idea. We think that we should pay and set up your new, your new missionary journey. We think that you should go to Philippi because there's a small group of women praying there. Yeah, that's what you should do. That's how we'll plant the church. Just think about how crazy that is for just a moment. Paul would have never thought that. He would have never dreamed that up. But yet God knows something that Paul doesn't. And he's sending Paul in a totally different direction. And so Paul finds this women's small group. That's what he discovers. And here's what we discover is that in Philippi, there's probably not even 10 Jewish men. Because if there was a city with 10 or more Jewish men, a synagogue would have been built. And there would be synagogue worship. And Paul generally found his way to the synagogue whenever he went to a city. And that's where he started. But there isn't one there because there's not even enough men to build a synagogue. There's a group of women praying and the guys aren't even around. They're watching the ball game. They're not even there. But this is who God sends Paul to. Now, think about this for a moment. This small group of women, this became the church in Philippi. This became the strongest most grounded church in the New Testament. They were filled with missionary zeal. They were the most generous church that we see in the scriptures. And they were Paul's most consistent financial supporters. They were consistently supporting him. Just like the group of women who supported Jesus' ministry, there was this amazing church in Philippi that took care of Paul and supported him always. And then most importantly, most interestingly, 
They were Paul's closest friends. This is the group of people that Paul had the most intimate relationship with. These are the people that he was the closest to and he never would have dreamed of going to Philippi to plant a church. So with that in mind, let's hear the reading of scripture. in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me is actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach, the, preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out from my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, 
Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For if I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. But whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to you and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I have, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. So after hearing the scriptures and hearing that full chapter, let's dive into what the Lord's going to say to us this morning. Look at number, number one, my first point is, Paul begins this letter with prayer. This letter begins with prayer. Here's what he says in verse three. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's filled with joy because of their generosity. Paul's filled with joy because they partner with him. They're united with Paul in planting churches and advancing the gospel. But notice here, Paul, for Paul, prayer is not secondary, it's primary. Prayer is not peripheral, it's center. Prayer is so important for Paul, and I think it's because we're looking at a part of Paul's maturation process, his growth and development after struggling to plant churches and after learning how sometimes God stops him and redirects him. I think we're learning that uh, we can see that in, in Paul's journey, his plan was to go to Asia, but God redirected him to Macedonia. So, Understanding that, Paul says, I'm going to start this letter in prayer because I want to know what the Holy Spirit is saying. I want to know what the Holy Spirit is doing. I want to start out in prayer. You know, it's interesting. A person who starts whatever he or she does in prayer is a joyful person, a person that can be filled with joy because they've started with prayer. It's a person who delights in relationships and one who does that with a profound sense of gratitude. Paul was very grateful for his relationship with the Philippian church. He was so grateful and so thankful. He says that he prays for them all the time. He prayed for them consistently. 
Number two, God enjoys turning your bad circumstances to your good and his glory. God, if God has a hobby, this is what it is. Finding your bad circumstances and turning them towards your good and his glory. In his downtime, that's what he likes to do. When he's not like running the universe. God loves to find people in difficult circumstances who come to him by faith and allow him to form them. Look at verse 12. It says this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that whatever has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul says, look, everything that's happened to me is in God's hands, and somehow he's using it to advance the gospel. What if it was that way in your life and in mine, that we saw life through that lens where everything that happens to us somehow is advancing the gospel? What is the what that happened to Paul that he references here? Everything that happened, what is it? Well, he lists some of it, In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 28, this list is fascinating to me. Now, this list was written before the Philippians, the letter that he wrote to the Philippians. So um, there's probably some even more stuff that had happened to him by the time this list comes out. But listen to what Paul says that he rejoices in. Listen to this list, starting in verse 24. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Now, look, I'd probably quit right there. (laughs) I'm like, I'm done. I'm tapping out. Five times he's flogged by the Jews and beaten with rods. That's a little severe. I'm not sure if any of us are going through those circumstances right now. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open water. Has anybody ever treaded water for 24 hours in here? Anybody good enough to tread water? A night and a day, Paul is in the open ocean. I have been been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews that are supposed to be on his team. He's in danger. I'm in danger from Gentiles. That covers it all, the Jews and the Gentiles. I'm in danger in the city. I'm in danger in the country. And I'm in danger at sea. Everywhere, I am in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I've even gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides all of these things, now watch this. This is how he ends this list. Besides all of these things, I face daily the pressures and concern for all the churches. All the churches that Paul has planted, all the churches that have begun. Paul feels the weight of the concern for these churches. Remember, when we went through Colossians, Paul was so concerned about all the philosophies, the strange ideas that were entering the church, the heresies that were trying to attack the church. This is what weighs on Paul. This is what really, really concerns Paul. I'd be concerned about the five beatings with rods. But Paul's concerned about how the church is doing. 
Paul's concerned about how you and I are doing in the church. Are we prospering in our faith? Are we deepening and growing? This is what Paul says he's concerned about. And in all of this list, and back in our uh, book in Philippians in verse 18, he says this, but what does it matter? What does it matter? Because of this, because of this long list, I rejoice. Now, this is mind-blowing to me. Paul says, I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. How is this possible? When you look at this list that Paul's gone through, the difficulties and the struggles, how is it even possible, not only that he survived, but he has joy that's overflowing from him. He has such joy that he can't contain it. He writes about it over and over in this book of Philippians. He's filled, his life is filled with the joy of heaven. Paul wrote... The joy that Paul wrote about, the joy that Paul had, the joy that he lived out was not based in his circumstances, but in his mindset. Paul's joy was a mindset. It was not based on how he felt, but on a changed heart, a changed heart. Here's one of the most important principles that we could ever learn through the book of Philippians or even in scripture at all. The principle of understanding how to live the joy-filled Christian life. How do we live the joy-filled Christian life? Paul gives us a great example. His circumstances were not good, yet he was overflowing with joy. I want to take a shot at this and just stick with me on this because I think we'll, we'll, we'll get to a place to, of maybe understanding, but let's, I want to take a shot at this. You cannot change your heart, but you can change your mind. Conversely, God can change your heart, but he chooses not to change your mind. So it seems like the scripture indicates that the heart is God's territory. This is a place that is open to his influence, in the Old Testament, we read about Pharaoh. God, the scripture says that God hardened his heart. Pharaoh didn't harden his heart. God did it. And in the New Testament, we read all the time where God would soften the heart of someone so that they could receive Christ. And Jesus tells a parable about softening someone's heart like soil so that when the seed is planted, the kingdom can thrive. It seems to be that the heart is God's domain. And that he's the one that can change it. But, but the mind is something that God wants to partner with us on. The mind is something different. God give, has given you and I the ability to change our mind. We can control the thoughts that we have. And so here's what God's saying. If you choose to change the way you think about your bad circumstances, God can change your heart to follow suit. Or maybe we might say it like this. If I cultivate a kingdom mindset, God will do his work on my heart. If I'm cultivating a kingdom mindset, if I'm looking at my circumstances and my situation based on the way the kingdom sees them, then God does a similar work in my heart. Or we might say it like this. The head and the heart must be integrated they must be integrated. Not disintegrated, but integrated. Let me, let me try to explain it like this. Let's say that maybe you've gone through a situation of very bad circumstance that has broken your heart. 
and your heart is hurting. In your heart, you're devastated. You're broken. You may not say, Derek, my mind is broken. You might say, my heart is broken. I'm heartbroken over this situation that's happened to me. And so what do you do? You begin to get with your small group and you start praying and you're asking God to heal your heart. You're asking God to do a work in your heart because that's his domain. That's where he works. You're asking for God to do that. But let's say you're doing that while at the same time, you're thinking negative thoughts all the time. You're taking on the thoughts of the world. You're interpreting circumstances the way the evening news does. You're uh, interpreting life from a, God, from, from a human perspective, from an earthly idea, and you're seeing things in a very negative light. And so what happened is you're disintegrated. You're asking for God to heal your heart, but your mind is in a really bad place. And so if God did that, then you would be very disintegrated. And so what God does is, here's what he's saying to us in the book of Philippians. God wants to use difficult circumstances, challenging issues that we go through, very painful and hard things. He wants to use those to integrate us, to make us whole. Because it's when we go through those difficult circumstances and we say, I'm going to choose a kingdom mindset. I'm going to think about what's happening to me through a kingdom lens. Then what happens is God begins to do the same work in your heart and you become a whole person. Your mind and your heart are captivated by the kingdom. And that's what God wants for all of us is to be whole people. Not to be disintegrated, but to be integrated where our heart and our head are submitted to the kingdom of God and working in unity instead of working against each other. And so here is the reason why. Paul had a renewed mind. Therefore, he knew in his heart that whatever happened to him was in God's hands. Because he had a renewed mind, he knew in his heart that whatever happened to him, it was God's hand. His responsibility was to think about the good or the bad, to think about it through a kingdom mindset through a kingdom mindset that the scriptures say that we can take on. We can actually set our minds on the things of the kingdom. Just like you can set a thermostat, you and I can set our minds when we read the scriptures and we believe them. When we begin to pray and have a quiet time with God, we're setting our minds on the things of the kingdom. This morning, during our worship service, we're setting our minds and our hearts on the things of the kingdom. We can do that. We can set our mind on the things of the kingdom. And so here's what I want to close with today. I want us to talk and look at what does it mean to have this kingdom mindset? Practically, what does this mean when you and I, we read the book of Philippians and we take on a kingdom mindset? Let's take a look at this. This is the gift of Philippians. Philippians gives us this gift. Number one, it means this. When I have a kingdom mindset, I can obey the steps and stops that God brings my way. Yes. When I have a kingdom mindset, I can obey the steps that God tells me to take. There's sometimes in Scripture where God says, go into all the world. There's sometimes in Scripture where God calls us to go, to take steps. There's times when God's calling us to, to, to move out, to take steps. And we need to be able to hear him with the kingdom mindset and obey and take those steps. But 
There are other times when God stops us. He stops us. And when you and I are cultivating a kingdom mindset, we can obey the steps and the stops. We begin to understand the tension in Scripture. Sometimes Scripture says, go into the world. And sometimes Scripture says, be still and know that I am God. It's the tension between going and Sabbath. We have to have both of those. When you have a kingdom mindset, you can obey the steps and the stops that God brings your way. Number two, when I have a kingdom mindset, I can be redirected by vision. Redirected by vision that God gives. Redirected. I can change course because I can be redirected by vision. Now, this is fascinating because remember, Paul started out, his plan was to go to Asia. Because he had a kingdom mindset, God backed him up. He stopped him. Paul was completely stopped, and God gave him a vision in Acts 16, 9. He gave him a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, please come and help us. Now, Paul, if he was living today, Paul was probably type A. He was probably reading a lot of uh, leadership books, and he probably would have read the book that says, hey, when you make a plan, you got to stick to it. You got to make it happen. You got to do whatever it takes to make sure that your plan is successful. The problem with that is it may have nothing to do with what God wants for you. Can you be redirected by a vision from God? I mean, think about this. This is how Paul plants this church. If he was to go to the bank and say, look, here's my business plan for planting a church, I just got this vision. He would be laughed out of the room, and rightfully so. The kingdom does not work the way we think it does sometimes. God uses visions to direct his people. God used a vision to speak to Joseph so that he would leave and take his family, baby Jesus, and get out of Bethlehem before the massacre happened. All throughout Scripture, God speaks to people through visions. But are we willing to be redirected by a vision? Or will we just think it's bad pizza? God speaks through visions. We have to be willing to be redirected. Number three, a kingdom mindset starts with prayer. A kingdom mindset starts with prayer. It's this. It's praying before planning. Now, this is a weakness for me. I have a real challenge in this area. I'm a planner. I like to make plans. I like to pontificate on plans. I like to write out plans. I like to have plans. My wife gets sick of my plans. I have all kinds of plans. I'm a planner. I like to make plans. But rarely do I pray before I plan. Sometimes your streak is your, is your weakness. God wants us to pray before we plan. Planning is good. We should have a plan. You should be strategic. We should have all of those things. But should we seek first the kingdom of God before we plan? Should we be more interested in his plan than in ours? Everything should start with prayer. We should be a people who, before we do anything, we start with prayer. This is what the book of Philippians is teaching us. This is what Paul learned is that everything should start in prayer. And then lastly, number four, in a kingdom mindset, 
rejoice in all circumstances. A kingdom mindset rejoices in all circumstances. In fact, what a kingdom mindset allows you to do is to realize that the bad things that are happening to you now are purposed by God for your good and his glory. That's the way the kingdom mind always sees difficult circumstances, the issues that you're struggling with in your business, the struggles that you're having in school, the challenges that are just just frustrating you, the difficulty that you're having in your relationships, the struggle that's happening in your marriage, the issue that seems like physically it'll just never go away and it's been plaguing you. This is the gift of God to integrate you. It could be that God is using this very same thing, this very issue, to align your head and your heart so that you're a whole person once again. It's possible that God is using that to bring about the joy that Paul is writing about. Not happiness all the time, and I'm just happy even when bad things happen, and I drop the hammer on my toe, and oh, I'm just happy about it. It's just wonderful. It's just great. I love it. But I could still be filled with joy. I could still know that somehow God's going to use this to redirect me. And instead of me fixing the thing at the house and messing it up, to go hire a contractor that could do it right. Please. So we rejoice in all circumstances. If we have a kingdom mindset, we can see things and interpret things through the mind of Christ instead of through the mind of frustration, difficulty, issues that hold us back, that cause attitudes to come upon us where we discount scripture and the promises of God. And we say, well, those things probably really don't work. It's a kingdom mindset that causes us to see life in a totally different way. That's what Paul's writing to us about. And that's what we're learning. Here's what I, I wanna say in conclusion. I wanna to conclude today's message by practicing what Paul did in Philippians. In the opening verses, Paul said, let's pray. In the opening passages, in the opening verses, Paul says, we're gonna pray together. Let's pray. And so here's what I'd like for us to do as we close out today. Would you stand to your feet with me? I wanna ask everybody and everybody online, I wanna ask you to join in with this. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to pray a very simple prayer together, to practice what we're reading, to engage with the way Paul thought about life. Let's, let's do the same thing. Let's do this. If you wouldn't mind, if you just lift up your hands to heaven, um, just lift them up. This is just a, maybe we're just giving a, a position of submission before God. And we're just submitting ourselves before God. And I'm, I'm gonna read this very short prayer and then we'll pray it together. But let me read it first. Lord, Help me cultivate a kingdom mindset. And then, Lord, do your work in my heart. Help me cultivate a kingdom mindset. And then, Lord, do your work in my heart. Let's pray this out loud. Lord, help me cultivate a kingdom mindset and do your work in my heart. Father, we're asking right now that wherever we're broken, wherever we're discouraged, wherever we're disappointed, wherever we're distraught, as we take on this kingdom mindset, do your work in our heart and integrate us now. Make us whole. 
Lord, only you can work on the heart, but we bring you our mind. By faith, we believe that every word that you've written in the the scriptures is true. By faith, we believe that everything Paul wrote to us in Philippians, that we can capture it, that we we can capture the mind, and that we can live out all the promises of God. By faith, we believe it. By faith, we choose to set our minds on the things of the kingdom. Lord, do your work in our heart. Make us whole again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Here's what I want to ask you to do this week as we go, as we start this new series. I've got some some homework I want to ask you to do. Cultivating a kingdom mindset this week, three things. Number one, would you read Philippians 2 every day? Read Philippians 2 every day. Read through the whole thing and just let the Word of God wash your mind. Just let it happen. And then number two, would you submit your mind to renewal? Just say, Lord, I'm bringing you my mind. Wash it with your word. I'm submitting to be renewed the way Paul was renewed. I'm submitting my mind for renewal. And then number three, would you do this? Would you pray for a changed heart? Would you ask God to do what only he can do and change your heart? Align your heart and your head so that you're fully integrated in the power of the kingdom of God. Would you do those three things as we go through Philippians together? And I believe God's going to do great things in this church, great things in you, and I'm excited to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to dive deeper in today's message, go to trinitydallas.com forward slash sermons to receive your copy of the notes. If today's message encouraged you, do someone else a favor and share it with them. Also be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. A special shout out to all those who partner with us through their giving. Your contributions have enabled us to touch the lives of people in our community, as well as around the globe. Visit us at trinitydallas.com forward slash give to partner with what God is doing through Trinity Dallas.